Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All right. So we're talking about something that we've been talking about um, that is in line with what we've been speaking about. So let's open to the book of Romans chapter 3. I think we should read the scripture first. If we do that, then I'll be able to say what I really want to say. The book of Romans chapter 3, let's see the verse we'll take from. Now from verse 21, we'll read to verse 26. Now it's a particular spiritual principle I want to bring out from here. And you see, as believers, we must know what is important. Many times in life, we don't know what is important. That's why we make mistakes. He said, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. If you know what is important in a particular situation, all right, you will do what is right. Many times we think, let me give an example. Like I was teaching earlier today about um, faith. And that faith, Jesus said, have faith in God constantly. Reading the amplified rendering of um, Roma, uh, Mark chapter 11. He said, have faith in God constantly. And I was explaining a particular principle there. That we must realize that faith is not just when we want to get something. The constancy of faith is that we walk in the fear of God all the time. Now, very important, because you see, when you want to get something from God, you can pray and claim and all of that. But when you don't need anything from him, what, how does faith express itself? The way faith expresses itself is through the fear of God. That is just the way it expresses itself. And that's one of the things we read is that from Genesis chapter 31, that God was described as the fear of Isaac. That is, there was a way Isaac conducted himself, and we knew by observing his life that he was in dread of somebody. And sometimes people will say that the fear of God does not mean you are afraid of God. That's what it means. Because the Bible says, let the Lord alone be your fear. Let him be your dread. There's no way of explaining around that one, okay? So what it means is that you don't want to offend him lest you be punished. You don't want to offend him lest you displease him. That's what we're trying to say. You don't want to offend him at all. So that's what it means. To walk in faith is to walk in the fear of God constantly. All right. So if we don't understand what is important, okay? We start making decisions that are wrong. What I mean is this, for example, if God, okay, the example we gave earlier, if God says to um, David, you will be king, those days what will happen is that the man will go and kill the king that is there. Are you getting my point? You don't realize that what God is trying to say is different from the fact that you must be king. There's something else in it. The process of becoming king is important to him. It's not just about becoming a king, but becoming a king the way God said it should be done. All right? And that's one thing we must bear in mind. We're talking about prosperity. It is important to God how you enter into it. It's not just that you entered into it. Everything you enter into in life, we said at the beginning of the year, that it matters to God. We said things have different gates. They have different gates. If you are good into something, the way you come into it is the gate that we are talking about. And what you will get from it is determined by the gate you used, not just what you have. I hope you get the point. What you get from it is determined by the gate you used, not just what you got. So Christians must bear in mind that God focuses on the gate we use, and that is why he, that's the expression righteousness. That's part of the meaning of the word righteousness. Now let's read this particular one. You see what I'm talking about. Verse 21. He said, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified by gift, by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That can be quite confusing. Let's just read that one 
Okay, let's finish reading it. I will read a simpler translation afterwards. He said, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Now, follow this. This was to do what? Demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he will be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Please bear that in mind. Why I read this is to bring out the expression, the demonstration of his righteousness. The demonstration of his righteousness. Now let me just read a bit of that from um, a, 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 one of these uh, simpler translations. Just to read them. Um, let me read from around verse 23 or 24. Alright, so yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair. Please follow that. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This is a very beautiful translation. Funny enough, I don't think I've ever read this portion in this New Living Translation. It's so nice. And I just wanted to get that one out simply. But back to what I was saying, the main thing I want to bring out that in that he talked about the demonstration of his righteousness. Now, God is just, we know that. Now, beyond God being just, he also likes to show that he is just. Please bear this in mind. God is just. We know it by faith. But beyond the fact that we know it by faith, he also likes for people to know from experience that indeed he is just. That is, he likes things to be demonstrated. One of the things we'll find out eventually, one time we're going to see it. I mean, when I say we, I don't mean here. I mean all of us. Maybe after this life, one day we will see that there is nothing that happened on this earth that God was not right in what he did. There is nothing. What I'm telling you will happen one day. You will be the one to be defending him. You know, if I right now, if you have enough understanding, you will come to his defense. Many times people come and try to explain to you that there is no God. Now, they don't do that much around it, I hear, but you have a few people. And when they start explaining to you why there is no God, you like, you, you know, the things like, how can God be there and children are dying in a tsunami? The day God shows you why it happened, and including the ones he expressly commanded, you realize that he was just. I don't want to go into those arguments now because with my little understanding, I can show many of those things that God is just. But I want to just emphasize that he is going to demonstrate his righteousness to us. Now, why am I emphasizing all of these things today? Because, you see, God wants us to understand with his people. Remember that we are trying to say, I was saying earlier, that if we know what is, where we put our focus is what determines how we make our decisions. It's what shows it's what helps us, you know, we say where there is no vision, people are unrestrained. If you know exactly what God is going for, are you getting me? You will know how to react under different circumstances. Let me give you an example. For example, you may lose something now. As an example, you lose something, you invested a lot of money, and you lost the money. It can be depressing. Assuming it's the kind of money that it takes you three years to save. 
You now lost it in three weeks. Do you understand? It can be depressing. But if you understand, why is depressing? It's because you know you've lost money. Why is depressing that you've counted the three years of your life wasted? Why is depressing is that you have thought that something great was going to come out of this your investment? That's why it's depressing. But if you know exactly what God is, in, is doing in your life, you will know that the scripture is true when it says all things work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. You know that scripture will be true. Many times in life, if you look at that kind of situation critically, you will know that God deliberately brought you to that particular level to see how you will react if you lose money. I don't know why you're getting my point. Now, if you focus on that, you will watch your reaction. If you focus on money, you will do anything you like. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yeah, you will do anything you like. You will cry and kick your leg around and moan and call everybody. Pastor Mavi, have you heard? They defrauded me. Pray that God will punish them. As they're hanging the phone, you call somebody else. Ah, John, are you there? Hmm. That guy last week, do you know it was fake? Next one week, one, one year, you are mourning over money that you lost. But if somebody just told you that, look, oh, the angels are watching you, you know what you're going to do? You'll be able like Job. The Lord gave, <laughs> and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we come to us, we thank God, all things work together for good. <laughs> to them that love God, and are called according to his purpose. Even your dream, you'll be rejoicing. You have no occasion for lamentation because somebody just hinted you that they are taking notes in heaven concerning how you are reacting. Look, automatically you will change your reaction. I hope you are getting my point here. I like what the Mike Mudok said long ago. He said, vision gives strength. That strength comes from vision. It's what you see that determines the energy that's flowing through you. Like the situation I just gave, painted now, the scenario I just painted, all the loss, the feeling of loss, because most of the things we experience in life is that feeling that's the issue. It's not the reality of what happened. It's the feeling, the reaction, the emotional response. That's what matters. I've, I've used this illustration many times here. When in medical science, when you are treating pain, pain is on two different levels. The physical, like you hit your hand against this mahogany, you know, the pulpit here. It's quite hardwood, so it hurts you. That swelling is a source of pain. The next one is the emotional reaction to that pain. And that's what's most powerful. So the most powerful painkillers, they don't work. Common painkillers, all these uh, ibuprofen, paracetamol, they work locally. They make the swelling go down. They make the pain go down. But the ones that work well, that will make you rejoice in your pain, those ones, they work in the brain. They ignore the pain where you hit your hand. They go to where you respond to pain in your brain. They make you forget your sorrows. That's why people can kill pain with alcohol. Alcohol doesn't remove the physical pain. It removes the emotional reaction to pain. Now, what am I trying to say? This thing also works spiritually. If there's trouble, do you get my point? It's how you perceive it that determines your reaction. It's how you perceive it that determines your reaction. It is not the thing that happens itself. Is a perception that is in your heart. For example, if you are so convinced, you are 100% certain, you have no shadow of doubt in your heart that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen, no matter what bad thing happens, you will be full of thanksgiving. And you are not joking. You are not trying to be a Christian. You know what I mean? You're trying to be a Christian. In our church, we don't cry. Do you understand my point? That kind of thing. <laughs> That's not what you are trying to do. You really mean it. You really mean it that all things work together for good. That I may not understand what has happened, but there must be something good working as a result of it in my life. 
So it's what we understand, where we focus. That's how what determines our reaction. Now, you see where I'm going in a moment. Okay? So now, I was trying to emphasize. So if we understand, therefore, that in everything in life, God is interested in the demonstration of his righteousness. I want to add another expression. God is interested in this life in the demonstration of his faithfulness in the lives of people. You will react to things differently. There's some Bishop Willipo used to say those days, and I bought that spirit. He said, I'm not going anywhere to look for prosperity. He said, how will I be able to prove to my people they can be blessed where they are? I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, look, listen, that I need to prove to people that they can be blessed anywhere. For that reason, if you have that kind of mentality, things may be tough. You just feel like, listen, my life, I was created to make a statement about God. And that's another thing I should remind us of. Each person was created to make a statement about God. That is the summary of your life. Each individual, I don't know how many billions of us have lived on the earth. I don't know how many billions that we yet live. But no matter how many we are, God is so great, we need that number of people and more to describe him fully. If we can just borrow the word fully, I, I doubt that we really can. That is, if you make a statement about God, I make a statement about God, you make a statement about God, at the end of the day, at the, at the end of the day we'll be able to piece something about him for people to see. Each person, you know, God under the old covenant, the relationship he had with the Jews, he had a name. His most important name was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. First time that thing struck me, what I noticed what he, was that he did not say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Almost every time you see that expression, okay, it's always breaking like, broken like that. It's only a few, one day I did a search on it, and I think I found only a few places, one or two, where they were joined together, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each time that name would be read out or pronounced, it was the God of Abraham, comma, the God of Isaac, comma, and the God of Jacob. If you look at it very well, it was as if they were saying, I'm telling you about three different gods, yet one God. The God of Abraham, we'll talk about him. The God of Isaac, I'll describe him to you. The God of Jacob, he's the one that sent me. I said, I did not three people. Oh, yeah, let me explain what happened to you. That's, what I, that's the impression you get. Why didn't they just say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's simple. Because the way God is known, the way God manifested himself in the life of Abraham, was very different from the way he manifested and revealed himself in the life of Isaac. And if you look at Jacob, you see a totally different person being manifested. What am I going to emphasize? That is, what you know by studying Abraham about God is one thing. But there's a part of God you will never find out except you know the God of Isaac. There's a part of him you will not know except you relate with the God of Jacob. And listen, in the New Testament, his description is what? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Listen, let's describe him again. Jesus, the one that you know, is the head of the church. Are you getting my point? He's just the head. What's the other part of him? The body. What, where is the body of Christ? On earth. Can you point to the body of Christ? Just point. You need to point. Okay, good. Thanks for tapping somebody. Yes, me, you, all of us here, we are the body of Christ. So when we're talking about God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, 
Don't ever forget. Part of it is God, the father of the body of Christ. I hope you are getting my point here. That is, there is something about God that will not be known in eternity by the creation except Banky manifests him in that area. There are times people will have to talk about God and they will get to a point and say, how do I explain this? Hey, do you remember Banky? Yes, good. Then they will talk about me and with that, they will understand something about God. Then they will talk about you. With that, they will understand something different about God. And that was why we were all created. The aim of the creation is that each person will demonstrate visibly in a recordable fashion that can be referred to what God is like. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. That was why they came to Jesus and said, Who sinned that this one should be born blind? Was it him or his parents? I still don't understand why Jesus did not ask them. Is that a joke? How could they have sinned for him to be born blind? Like one man said, maybe he kicked his mother wrongly. And the mother said, this child, God punish you. The day I heard that, I had a very good laugh. He said, maybe that's the sin he committed. But the point is this. Jesus looked at it and said, neither. He said, but that the glory of God may be seen in him. Now, you can interpret a number of ways, but I don't want us to look at it like, okay, God made him blind deliberately. There are many reasons why the man will be blind. But even though he was blind, God allowed him to be born. And there was something that God was going to get out of his life. So now, when we're talking about the healing of a man born blind, we tell his story to let you know that even though a man is born blind, God can still heal. So till today, 2,000 years more than that after, the glory of God is still being seen in that man. So in eternity, if you give the man the opportunity, do you want to be born blind? He'll say yes. When he was born, the answer is no. Ten years after he was born, the answer is most certainly no. Twenty years after, no. After he was born, if he asked, you want to be born blind, why? Why? Come closer. Let me show you what it means to be born blind. Let me remove your eyes. But after that man was healed, maybe he was in his 30s, I don't know how old he was, and now 2,000 years later, of course, immediately, his story was being told. Hundreds of years later, we are still telling the story. If you now go to heaven now and call him, and say, oh boy, look back. How was he being born blind? Now, having seen for over 2,000 years, having the story to tell about God from his life, he will not pass that opportunity again because he realized that those few years are just a flash, you know, in the pan of eternity. It's not, it's not a long time. But why would you deny God that glory? Do you get my point? Honestly, if we understand spiritual things, you know, one of my favorite scriptures these days, even my wife quoted a lot, is anger lies in the bosom of fools. He <laughs> said, what is the issue about it? A lot of anger is ignorance. A lot of frustration is ignorance. If we know exactly what God is doing, you've realized that many of the things you've complained about, you can't even complain anymore. You can't. You know, the, the other day I stumbled on, I was looking for, I was editing one of our new books, should be out next month. So, I needed to correct something. And I was online, so I said, it's easier for me to quickly go online and get the information correct. It was about Derek Prince. But why, you know why... While going through, you know, um, looking for the information, I stumbled on a particular website. People were talking about Derek Prince. People were saying different things about Derek Prince. And, you know, Derek Prince married twice. His first wife died two or three years later. He married his second wife. Okay? The first wife was 25 years older than him. The second one was 20-something years younger than him. <laughs> now, are you getting my point? Now, you see... <laughs> 
The first time a young man tells he wants to marry, and his wife is 25 years older than him. You know, you're going to wonder, is your head together? But when we're talking about this man, looking at those two stories, now this, that's where I'm going, you understand? If you see the things they were bringing out of his life from those two experiences, when he married the second one, no, he didn't marry a 12-year-old girl, let's get it clear. And he, he was 60-something. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not as if he went and married, uh, not said, uh, at the age of 40, and I married a, a, a woman that's 12. I don't know what I mean. He was, he was uh, in his 60s that time. The point I want to bring out from, from, uh, out of him for you is that people began to talk about him. So I sat on that day. I read all kinds of comments. There was one fellow who smoked wee before writing his or her own comment. So you see, rubbish. <laughs> but when somebody won't answer that nonsense, eh, I told my wife, may God give me this kind of patience to answer ignorant people. Which Paul said we should have patience with the, you know, with the ignorant. If you see this, the way his life was described, how he became a father to eight girls, because the first wife adopted a lot of girls. They had about seven, at the third one in Kenya. I didn't want to eat, you know? They described how he was, he came into her life, that she needed him, and nobody, no man would step into that role, that he was the only one that God found. I don't know whether you're getting my point. When he described the beauty of what he would have laughed at initially, and that his first wife, that he loved that was not a joke. How do I know? When you hear him years later, talking about how when she died, his voice will break every time he talks about it. I hope you're getting my point here. Now, the story of his life, I saw people talking about that story. Not just on the website. I was looking for particular information about when he married his second wife. I needed to, anytime I'm preaching, you want to get your fact. Because anything you say or write, it becomes a reference. Okay, just be careful. Those of you, if you write things, some of you go and be writing rubbish on Facebook. Things you have not seen. Be careful. Just be talking, talking. You know what just be careful. Let's not get sidetracked into that. Okay, that's one of the disciplines we learn when God puts in a particular position. Now, the point I'm making is this. Derek Prince, I stumbled that day and I saw people talking about a man and talking about that experience. That is, is the glory of God was manifested in him. You see where I'm going? He said, God wants his faithfulness, his righteousness demonstrated. I added another word, which is his faithfulness. He wants to demonstrate his faithfulness. Let's read another particular scripture, then I'll continue what I want to say. This time around, we are, read, we are reading from David Psalms. David said we should offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There's something about it. Psalm 50. Please listen to this, very important. Hear, oh my, okay, sorry. Psalm 50, verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. He said, I do not reprove you. Now follow this. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices. And your burnt offerings are continually before me. That is, I'm not complaining. Please follow this. I shall, not, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. All of this is mine, he was saying. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. The other was saying, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of male goats? Is that what I'm asking you for? 
God said, what am I asking you for? Verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Now, this is what I believe. I'll read the next verse and tell you what I believe, my understanding of it. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Now, this is what I understand. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High is a result of calling upon him in the day of trouble. He rescues and you honor him. That is, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the vows paid to the Most High, is the honor that God was talking about. But you see my focus, all right? Now, God was saying to people here, I have an issue with you. I have a problem that I need to I have a bone to pick, like we say. Oh, no, no, it's not about your offerings. That's what he was saying in verse 8. He said, your sacrifices are constantly before me. It's not about your offerings. I get enough of it. You, your wife gives birth to a meal, I get my offering. It's harvest time, I get my offering. Three times a year, every meal appears before me, they come with their offerings. He said, they are constantly before me. But it's a particular kind of offering I don't get. He said, why am I complaining? Am I saying that you don't sacrifice enough animals? He said, listen, let's, let's, get, it to, let's get to it. If it's animals I wanted to eat, I can hunt. I can find them. I have a ranch. The whole earth is my ranch. All the animals on the thousand hills, they are mine. I can pick. So I am not talking about food. I'm not talking about slaughter. Many times Christians have made a big deal about Solomon's thousand burnt offerings. That God, look, you will do, and we even come and manufacture a thousand things. Today you will say, Lord, this is my thousand burnt offerings. And of course, if you want the offering to be good, you say, the Lord, a thousand dollars is my offering for today. Why? It's a thousand burnt offerings. God is saying, that's not what I'm interested in. What am I interested in? That's why I wrote the, uh, the book, He That Believes. Before it, I wrote a little tract titled, Dare to Believe. I explained it in there. I explained that faith has two definitions. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a conviction of things not seen. There are two different definitions there. Most of what we operate is the conviction of things not seen. The first part, a lot of us don't operate it. What is a conviction of things not seen? Were you there when Jesus was born? No, yet you believe he was born of a virgin. Were you there when he was crucified? No. All you see, know about is what you read somewhere. And a movie, some man, a few men made about it. But you hold on to it tenaciously. But then, what is faith as a substance of things hoped for? Please, let's get that definition right. I still saw a book recently, this morning that hope is uncertain. That's not what the Bible says. It's we that misunderstood that. Hope in the Bible is firm. That is, we left Makode a few hours ago and we called and we'll be in Enugu by past five. Was it our desire? Yes, we had that desire. But that was not, it was not a desire. Is that we were on the road. We had a good car. By God's mercy, it has proven to be reliable. We don't have any reason why it should fail us today. You understand? And we calculated, we saw the distance and all of that. We believe that by past five, we'll be in town. And by past five, we were in town. What we had is what the Bible calls hope. Expectation. Oftentimes, it coincides with our desire. And that was what caused the confusion when we began to explain hope as 
a wish and a desire, and we say it's uncertain. No. Hope is as certain as the reason you had to hope. I don't know why you're following me. It is as certain as the reason you had to hope. Are you getting me? Now, when we're coming, were we 100% sure we will get here? That is, at that time, the answer is no. Why? Our hope, now please understand me, we believe in God, but I want to use that physical thing just to explain. Our hope was based on the distance of the road and the reliability of our vehicle and that the tall reverend driving will not manifest any funny behavior on the road and drive us into a ditch. So we had the expectation we'll be here by past five. And God helped us. It coincided with our desire. Okay, okay, good. Our desire was to be here by 4.30. We discussed, I said, let's see whether we can make it for the co-workers' prayer by 4.30. That was our desire. But when it happened that as at 12 o'clock, I was still preaching. <laughs> was it 12 o'clock? Why was it that I finished preaching now? But when it, it happened that as at um, almost 12, I was still preaching, answering questions, still praying. Hmm. Everybody looked and said, Pastor, don't forget, say, we won't reach Enugu by 4.30. Then, let's go. Now, they said, no, somebody brought us food. They said, okay, we eat in the car. No, I said, this one. Now, our cloth go eat this food. Let's reverse, stay in the hotel there and eat. We're eating their lounge. Now, even though our desire was what? Being here by 4.30. By the time we're done and we hit the road, our desire had to give up to the reason we had the new expectation. That is, the desire was 4.30, but calculation was past 5. So, you see, the desire was 4.30, but the hope was quarter past 5 will be in town. So, I, I said, okay, let them know that by 5.30, I'll be, I'll be ready to take the mic and come up and start preaching. And are you getting my point here? Please now follow me. This is very important for Christians to understand. This one that will be at Enenugu by quarter past five, be here before 5.30, is what the Bible calls hope. The first one was desire. Hope always has a reason. Please, I'll get back to what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm taking too much time on this. Hope always has a reason. Now, there is a hope that does not fail. If the reason is the promise of God. Are you getting my point? Because with him, there is no variableness. Neither is there shadow of turning. That is, things cannot make him. He is God. So if he said to us, 4.30 will be Nenugu, even if we're still eating pounded yam in Makodi, by 3.30, I will turn to Israel, turn to um, uh, Yinka, turn to my wife, and say, don't worry, we'll be there at 4.30. Why? This time, and I'm not going to speak about our car, the distance of the road. What will I say? He promised. Faithful is he that has promised that we'll be at home by 4.30. And I've heard testimonies, even though I've never seen it. There's one in the Bible. The testimony I heard in recent times in Nigeria here. The Bible one is, Philip finished baptizing a man, but then the man came out of the water. Philip was no longer there. He was found in Azotus. I don't know how far Azotus was from where he met that man. But definitely, it was some distance. In the twinkling of an eye, the man was in Azotus. The story of the man I heard, that great minister of those days, he was somewhere, assuming he was supposed to minister in Oka by 5 o'clock. At 4.50, he was in Enugu ministry. Let's even assume, okay, let's just say, 
from living here, getting to the highway, driving fast and everything. Everything, two hours. And the, same, the man who started ministering in Oka, what time? Five. By ten minutes to five, he was still here ministering. As soon as he was done, he came down from the pulpit. This is the story ahead. That he opened the door of where he was ministering to walk out. That same door was the door of the, ministry, of the hall in Oka. I don't know what I get the point. As he opened the door, he walked into the hall in Oka. He was not found. And he will not walk with God. <laughs> and he was not. Are you seeing my point? So to us, for all you, I just want to illustrate the fact that, listen, if we were there at 3.30, four hours drive away, I was supposed to be here by 4.30, and I said to my guys, don't worry, we'll make it. It has to be that the angel of God whose I am, and whom I stand as serve, stood before him like me last night, and said, Banky, don't worry, whatever time you leave Makodi, you will be in Enugu by 4.30. That is why the promise of God is the only one that gives a hope that does not shake. Are you getting my point here? Back to what I wanted to explain. So when I wrote those tracts and that book, what I tried to explain to people is this. Your faith must have what? A hope. Every time you have faith, it produces something. So he said, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What the Bible was saying is this. It's not that when you have hope, you go and look for faith to give you substance. No! He said, if you see a man that has a sure hope, look behind it. There is adherence to the word of God. So when he says, a father of many nations have made you, and the man began to call himself Abraham. What was that saying? He heard something. That nobody else understood. So when he said, sacrifice your son. And he said, I and the lad will go and worship and we will return to you. The Bible says he received him back from the dead as in a figure. You're getting my point? He received him, him back from the dead. He had to. Why? Because there's a promise of God says, in Isaac will your seed be. So when a man is walking with that kind of assurance, it's because there is a word. There is faith in his heart. So the Bible says, faith is the assurance when you find hope. It's not as if you find hope, you have a desire, and look for a scripture that supports it, and you try and balance it. No. Is that any time you've eaten the word of God, it must give you expectation. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If you interact with God, you have a different viewpoint towards life. That's what he said. If the word has affected you. It will not only affect you in what you can quote, it will affect you in what you expect. What will tomorrow be like is based on what God has spoken. Even when you never thought about it before, when someone asks, what will tomorrow be like? You say, okay, what did he say about it? The moment you remember what he said about it, you form expectation for tomorrow. That's what the Bible says, Abraham in hope, against hope, he believed. That is, there were two experiences in his life producing two different expectations. I'm old. My wife is old. We don't have children yet. One expectation. What is that? What do you give me seeing that I go childless? Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, No, Eliezer of Damascus will not be your heir. But the wife, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. And my covenant will be with him. That's a new experience. That now gave him a new expectation. That I will not die childless. Do you get my point here? Back to what I was trying to say. So Christians, this is how it is. 
we have faith, we believe things that we did not personally experience. That's half of the Christianity. Full Christianity is that what you believe, what is it creating for you as expectation? You see where I'm going? You didn't, I mean, you didn't have a, maybe a beautiful qualification from university or you didn't even go at all. You don't have a heavyweight father that's ready to fund whatever dream you can dream with half a billion naira. So what is your expectation? So this country is bad though. I must swim across the Mediterranean, Mediterranean to get to Lampedusa so I can make it for the future. Listen to me. If you are thinking like that, all the Bible you have been reading, you have not believed. Listen, I don't care how much tithes and offerings you have given. You will get nothing from God. Why? You expect nothing from him. Let me not go into defining religion again. Religion is when you have all these emotions. We don't even know how interacting with him is affecting our destiny. If every decision you make is what an unbeliever will have made, then the word you have been reading has not affected you. I hope I get my point here. That's why I wrote the tract, Dare to Believe. That's why I wrote the book, He That Believes. That listen, faith is not just recite something. No. How is it affecting me? One of our brothers called me the other day. It had to do with medical checks. I said, my brother, you know, we are both ministers. So I said, you know medical checks? I have my opinion about it. I said, are you feeling sick? He said, no. I said, then go and sleep. Don't worry. I said, if you are not feeling sick, not is worrying you. You just go to the hospital. The doctor poke around. Is there anything coming up? I said, medicality is sound. Personally, I think it's ridiculous. And please don't think I'm ignorant. I know more medicine that ev- than. <laughs> Let me look. Who are, who are here? What do they know? Most people I, I know here, I even taught some of them in school. Most of you don't have a. Look, I've been a doctor since 1991. I've been a specialist since 1999. Add it together and get confused. <laughs> I'm still active where information circulates. So I'm not talking like a fool. But I have more understanding than my teachers because it's testimonies and my meditation. So I combine what I read with what I already have in my heart as scriptures. You understand? As the word of God. And from it, I derive things that make a lot of sense. And again and again, I've been proven right even by science. The day they withdrew cholesterol from the list of food that can kill you, many people, many people... (laughs) Kept on sending me, ah, sir, you said so, sir, you said so. Now, I said that not based on faith, you know, faith per se. I said it based on reasoning in the line of faith, but with a fundamental opinion in my heart or attitude that God is real. He created us. We are not an accident. We are not, you know, we are not a product of nothing going somewhere on no date. And for no reason, nothing happened to nothing. And as a result of the nothing, there was a great explosion and everything came to be. <laughs> And they call it the Big Bang. And like I always say, if you believe that, you are a complete idiot. I have no apologies. You are a thorough moron, if that makes sense to you. But I don't know how your brain works. According to, according to um, Andrew Womack, your elevator does not go to the top floor. <laughs> and your reason, you know, they use the top of your head. Some things don't make sense. Now, you see where I'm going in the moment. This point I'm not going to make from it. 
I came to that conclusion, all right? Not just because I wasn't being stubborn and, you know, a Christian, I don't believe all these things. No. I use, there's a fundamental understanding in my heart with which I read science. And based on it, I look and say, let's forget this thing. People are telling lies. The last one I saw, they were showing that palm oil contains some very important nutrients that's, that protects the heart. So somebody tweeted it, you know, and another person now laughed and said, at Pastor, that's my Twitter handle, at Pastor Banky was right. <laughs> so I, I collected that thing, did a screenshot of it, and forwarded it to a few people, including my son. I <laughs> said, ah, daddy, people really, they, they, they quote you everywhere. I said, I said yes, well, that's your daddy, you know. <laughs> now, what I said is that, why did I, why did I know that? I had, it's not just because I study science, all right? Because people are making, they also supposedly also study science. Something just didn't make sense. If I know that God created us and he put some things in order, I listened to it and said, this things don't make sense. So I'm not listening to here. So don't think I'm just talking blind faith. Ah, yes, blind faith is good, amen? You should start your life with blind faith. It's a very good thing to have. But I'm talking about the word of God allowing you to have understanding. So I told my, I said to my brother, I said, look, all of these things, my long life is not as short by how many people poke around in my system, checking for what? I said, it's from the word of God. I must behave like that. If your faith does not create expectation for you. Something is wrong. Please, I've not forgotten where we read from Psalm 50. So this was what God was saying. He said, you offer all these sacrifices. You come to church. But anytime you are in trouble, mm, are you following my point now? Anytime you are in trouble, you never come to me to tell me to solve problems. You talk and behave as if I'm not there. The economic realities published in your newspapers make more sense to your planning than what I have spoken. Yes, you'll be in church on Sunday. Abraham's blessings are mine, you say it. You dance to the altar. You give a special offering. You give special seed. You do, you, listen, you even abstain from unrighteousness. You don't steal, you don't cheat, you don't do anything that is wrong. Truth is to be found in your mouth. But anytime there is trouble, you pick your phone. Who do we know? Who do we know? You start calling people. If it looks like, ah, this game, the country, we're not sure of tomorrow now. What's happened to the economy? Is Buhari winning? Is Atiku? We don't know. What's the plan? Then you start checking for the list of countries that are stable. So you can put your children there so that children will be safe. God is saying, you know what you are doing? You are denying me the sacrifice I like the most. One that did not expressly command, but one that comes out of the hands of people. Because of the intervention that I have done in their lives. So that's why it means when they say, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And pay your vows to the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. What did he mean by vows? When, David, when um, Jacob was living, he said, God, if you will take care of me, help me. When I come back, you know, a tenth of everything, of course, you know what he did was to kill a tenth of his animals in a particular day. And burn all of them up as a living sacrifice. As to acknowledge God. As to acknowledge God that you were the one that kept me. Do you know why Esau couldn't do anything to him? The same reason why Laban couldn't do anything to him. You know when Laban pursued Jacob? Do you know what really happened? It's in the Bible like that. God stopped at night and told Laban, if you get to Jacob, just shut your mouth. Just be nice to the guy. 
Don't bless him, don't curse him. When Laban and God they started talking, very nice. Oh. Yeah. I promise me you won't maltreat my daughters. I didn't know my wife. Look at this man. Uh, okay, what about my grandchildren? You know, a man began babu. We call it confabulation. It's like confabulating, talking things that are irrelevant. Why? God has shown up and warned him. I read a story from another source. He said it's exactly the same thing that happened with Esau. That the angel, the angel of God appeared as bands of soldiers and they warned Esau. So when you saw that Esau being nice, you read in your Bible. It was not sudden conversion because he gave his life to Christ. It was God appeared to him the day before and said, your brother is coming. Be nice. What did I say? You said be nice. <laughs> so what, is, what Jacob gave to God is an acknowledgement, was an acknowledgement of the fact that it was him. I hope you get the point. It was an acknowledgement of the fact that God, it was you. And God was complaining to Israel here. That this is the problem I have with you. You spend all this energy offering sacrifices because I commanded that you should bring them. Bring a sacrifice that happened because your child fell ill. And you place your hand on the child and say, God, take care of this one. Even though everybody gave up that the child will not leave. But you say, everybody watch. I'm inviting you ahead for Thanksgiving service on Sunday. We will kill a fatted cow, both from full animal. <laughs> and of course, by Thursday, the child is very well. As one of our brothers have been telling him, write out your testimony. I love that testimony. A number of you here, you know him. You know, last year was a terrible year for doctors in Nigeria with Lassa fever. Last year was terrible. Most of the people we heard of that died from Lassa fever were medical doctors. About three in Abakliki in Abuja, from different places. It was terrible. Nurses too died, though. But most people that died were doctors. This our brother is a doctor, and one day he caught Lassa fever. That was many years ago. When he told me the story, I said, you have not written this testimony for me. <laughs> he said, I was in UNTH here. He was in shock for days. What we call shock? His blood pressure was very low. They, they did everything medically possible to raise it up, to don't go up. He was having systemic shutdown. His organs were beginning to pack up. His skin, especially on his back, because of the hemorrhage into the skin, had peeled off. He had bed sores. They were not, it was, they were not really pressure sores. They were sores that came out of the disease. And of course, added to the pressure because he was half conscious all the time. Send so then his cousin will come, put a phone beside him, and put messages. And the word of God was plain to him. And he began to gather strength. They want, I'd been, he had been in hospital for, I don't know how long. And one day, he just told the doctor that I'm going home on Friday. And they started laughing. <laughs> you, go where? Oh, this was like Monday. He said, Friday, I'm going home. I've, I've stayed here long enough. I think by, if you said this on Monday, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday, a nurse came to dress his wounds and she shouted. Why did she scream? It had, they had totally healed. She screamed. What happened? She had told you people 
I'm go- this was like Wednesday. On Thursday, the doctors came and reviewed. Friday, they checked him. I said, boy, please go home. That was Friday. And he said, I told you on Monday that I'm going home. Because if you see the amount of sauce on his body, they didn't think he could leave. That, they laughed. A man who they thought was going to die. The last time we talked about this, I said, oh boy, write this testimony for me. If, you, if such a person goes to hospital, you know what God is saying? Uh, goes to church. He said, offer a sacrifice of what? Thanksgiving. The point is this. Only God could have done that. So God said, you know what? I don't get enough of it. Anytime you people are broke, <laughs> you know everybody to call. You've made the future plan for your children. I don't have any involvement in it. Why? Because the UK University or Canadian University has given you the date of graduation as such now. And they're only in secondary school. You see, the system is organized. <laughs> and you say with pride. You demonstrate your faithlessness and foolishness with pride. I know my children will do well. Why? Because of, uh, what's his first? Justin Trudeau. He has arranged a system by which their destiny has been planned. So when we want to worship, Father will thank you. No, no, sorry. It's Father. How can we say Father? North America will thank you. Justin Trudeau, you are to be praised. Theresa May, Theresa February. It is good. That's what we do. That's what we do. We may not say it expressly, but that's exactly how we behave. And that's what upsets the Lord. Say, so you don't call upon me in the time of trouble so that I can deliver you. You don't call upon me in the time of trouble so that I will manifest my, I will manifest my power in your deliverance. You have every other method to guarantee deliverance for yourself apart from my power. Back to what I was saying at the beginning. God loves to be described by people's names. Don't forget that. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now he's the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the body of that Jesus Christ. So he wants to be described by our lives. Each person is going through life not for himself or herself, but for literally the glory of God to be seen. Now, even though that was what he planned, we often don't allow it to happen. Fact, we said at the beginning, God plans some doesn't mean it will come to pass by force. Many times we are replaced. I'm convinced of that. People are often replaced. Because that demonstration of his righteousness must happen. If one generation would not do it, God has to bring forth another generation to do it. Israel said to God, we cannot enter the land. Let me tell you something. When God wants to demonstrate his righteousness, ah, the real prince said, he likes to make things difficult so you can understand that he's the one. I don't know whether you hear that. That is, let us pray that fire will come from heaven. The priest of Baal, they prayed and prayed. When it was Elijah's turn, you know what he did? He said, let's just be sure, let's just be sure that it's God. Pour water. Water that was scarce, they, poured, they managed to get enough, poured on it. He looked, he said, pour more water until the water filled the trough around the altar. He said, good. Now, we know that if I had a trick up my sleeves before, because the, the priests of Baal, they had tricks. They had spiritual power, but most times what they used were tricks. Some of them had hidden contraptions. And many of the prophets we have in Nigeria today, they are like that. They started out with familiar spirits and supernatural powers of some sort. 
But those supernatural powers are expensive. Yes, you have to keep feeding them their sacrifices. Sometimes they will just say, okay, give us your wife. Kill her and eat her. The next time, so who wants to feed, keep feeding spirits that they don't get full? So occasionally, you know what you do? Once you don't hammer, you turn it to technology and media bleeds. Man of God will come to church and say, there will be plane crash. Listen, there, there are plane crashes every year. Is which one crash that is the issue? One footballer, is this Sana, disappeared? Salah. Okay, anyway. Is this Sana or Salah? Salah. All of you know, apart from my wife. <laughs> Me too, I don't know. I'm with the women when it comes to football. So people, planes crash all the time. So what they now do is that they now go and quickly edit a video of six years ago where the man said, be careful. FIFA, be careful of plane crash. They will now play it as if he said it one month ago. And who say, oh, man of God, sin into the future. Sin into the future is not a sign of spirituality. Many, many, lots of men of God in Nigeria, they left their familiar spirits long ago. What they now use is media jaguda. They hire people. I have serious information. They will pay. Come and testify. One woman didn't have money, had not prepared for her, children, her, her child's birth. She was pregnant. So he said, okay. We'll give you free maternity care and give you 25000 to buy some things. We'll get a doctor in us to take care of you, our maternity, and a taxi to take you home after everything. What do I need to do? Just, we'll just bring camera. Just say you were in labor for four days until you drank the water from the man of God. The woman said, that is all. I was in labor for two years. Said, don't worry. Come on. <laughs> come. Come. <laughs> what is this big deal about four days? And they will film. How are you? I'm uh, Mr. Temedu. I'm uh, uh, Mrs. Temedu. Ajale Koko. I went to labor on the 31st of February. And I was in labor the 4th of March. <laughs> and then water was brought for me from the prophet. And I drank it. And then within five minutes, I delivered. Cut, cut. I don't cut and put on television. That's it. We thank the man of God. He gave us rice. Praise God. Elijah said, many people have tricks. Let's be sure I'm not using any of those tricks. So he said, pour water. Make it so difficult that only God can do this one. And of course, when the fire fell, we all know the story. The fire came, consumed the sacrifice, looked around, drank the water to wash the sacrifice down. <laughs> To show that only God could have done that. So God is saying, the harder it appears, the tighter you cling to me. Because the reason why I allowed you to get this hard is that's when my glory will be most pronounced. That is what God is doing. Listen to me. I said at the beginning, if we know what is really at stake, we will react differently. That's why I like Bishop with people's testimony in those days. Now, one of the reasons why I respect Bishop, anybody can say what they like about him, all right? But one of the reasons why I respect Bishop is that everything I'm seeing now, he said, I started listening to Bishop in 1990. 1990. How many years ago was that? 1990 was the first day. I, my, I think it was, um, yes, no, somebody brought the tape. Was it, was it Pastor Courage? He brought it to the hostel. And I heard the gospel of abundance. Many of you have heard the tape. 
Because I preserved that tape for a very long time. Somebody said you appear good all the time, and he says because I'm good inside. And if you are good inside, it makes you look good outside. And I believe in good things because good things are good. Friends, I believe in good things. This man poured the word forth for like one hour, 20 minutes. I had never heard anything like that. I listened to that tape, and the tape dissolved virtually. So all the things you see now, he told us then. He said, the moment we started the ministry, the first day we appointed an accountant. He said, why? Because we knew money was going to be so plenty. No, that's how he does. <laughs> he said, everybody came to work well-dressed. Because we're not here to joke. He said, one day somebody dreamt. and said, we saw you flying with wings in the air. He said, that, and I will hear, is it something like, I, the interpretation was that that is you bearing the everlasting gospel on the aeroplane. So I knew I was going to have my own private jet. I heard this thing from his mouth 30 years ago. Almost. So everywhere I went in the world, I used to go to look at their universities and say to them, it can happen anywhere. The same God in India is the same God here. That was what he taught us those days. <laughs> so there is nothing, look, everything you see, hmm? I heard him say them almost 30 years ago. The time I listened to him most was shortly after my youth service. This was 94 now. I finished service in 93. And I was in Lagos listening to Bishop morning, afternoon, and night. So that's why you can say anything. I'm not saying everything he does is perfect. I'm not here to defend anything. But I can assure you, there's nothing you are seeing now he didn't tell us then. There is nothing. And he's just preaching. He'll just tell you. So he said, I'm not going anywhere to beg anybody for money. I'm not going around the world looking for prosperity. Otherwise, I, to, I said to God, he said, because how am I going to prove to my people that they can be blessed here? He said, from this land, God will bring prosperity. That's how you'll be talking. If you ever heard Bishop eh, without seeing him, you would have thought he was six, six feet, ten inches tall, weighing 120 kg, with chest like that of, you know, Hulk Hogan. You would have thought so. You never had that confidence or faith. <laughs> now, what I just want to bring out from what is that he kept on saying, I have to prove to my people that God can bless them anywhere. He said, so any country I go to, I hold my money. So one day I was in New York, New York City, New York City. I was a guest minister then. The meeting was running into problems. I saw the pastor panicking. I told him, what's the problem? He said, they have not paid the vending people. And he, said, he, asked, he said, I asked him, how much is the money? He told me, I opened my briefcase and paid the money for him. He said, out in New York City, he said, the, re- is the country where you are living is not the reason why you are down. <laughs> he, said to us, he said, black is not lack. <laughs> and I know he likes to prove it. What is his reason? He said, I need to be able to tell my people. He said, I told God, I have to be able to tell them that they can be blessed anywhere. Listen, that's what God is doing with your life. Anytime you want to do something, remember, note what exactly that he's doing. Because the main thing he's doing, when we miss it, we misbehave. You can suffer loss. God said, fine. So, what's the big deal? So, are you going to respond? That this loss that you have suffered is for the demonstration of my righteousness. So, you cooperate with him to show the world that God is alive, he's faithful, and he's righteous. 
That is why we believers don't believe in results. The stories that we cannot tell. I don't know whether you are getting my point. If you have to hide it, it's not of God. One of the ways I counsel people, is it right to do this? Is it right to do this? Is it right to do this? I work in an office and I, I counsel people a lot of times. So I tell at the end of the day, if I'm not very sure of the details, I say, can you walk up to your boss and tell him this? If the answer is no, it's wrong. Because you must understand, it's evil that thrives in darkness. One thing you must understand. Let me give an example, just simple thing. One of the ways you know Christian men and good men, married men, is that their wives have the passcode and everything to their phones. Do you know why? They have nothing inside that they are hiding. They are driving, the phone rings. He doesn't know who's calling. He says, please let me answer that. Tell the person I'm driving. And she hears the family voice. Hello, honey. She will say, sorry, wrong number. Now your wife will help you tell the girls in her wrong number. So if you want to embarrass me and call me, I want to embarrass my wife. Now she will tell you, say, okay, you smoke. <laughs> this is Pastor Banky's number. Thank you. <laughs> one day one of our brothers told me something that one day he was driving. His wife was beside him. A text dropped on his phone. So he told his wife, please, let me check. His wife read, read it out to him. So he kept on driving. A few days later, I was in his office. And the young woman who sent the text now came to see him. Ah, good afternoon, sir. Yeah, I sent you a text message. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw it. In fact, I was driving when it dropped. It was my wife that read it out to me. Dikki said, eh? Dikki said, what? <laughs> so he turned to her and said, ah, is that a problem? Like, he, he deliberately did that to her. He said, is it a problem? Are you planning to send me text messages my wife cannot read? She got the point. Just told him simply, ah, tell her simply, what is wrong with it? Ah, listen, no. My text messages, my wife reads them. So if you want to send me text messages, know now that this guy does not take messages his wife cannot read. Evil thrives in darkness. That, no, that's why it thrives. That's why it thrives. That is where it thrives. What am I saying? So I tell you, look, if you cannot tell the story, it's a sign that God is not there. Do you know why? Because in those stories, really, is the faithfulness and righteousness of God demonstrated. And when we can't tell the stories, we are proving that this is not the faithfulness of God. This is not the righteousness of God. That's why I tell Christians, be careful. You know, when unbelievers solve a problem in a particular way, that should be the last way you want to solve that problem. Because your life is for the demonstration of his righteousness. Your life is for the demonstration of his righteousness. Let me tell you something. Listen, God sometimes squeezes us deliberately. Hmm. To an extreme, you know, life, I pray, you know, I told you before, my, and we prayed on Tuesday. What I want from God is skill and understanding. It's not money, it's skill and understanding. That is, to be able to understand life in such a manner, you know, that we will know what matters and what does not matter. That was what the angels came to give Daniel, or the angel came to give Daniel. We say, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, I have been sent to give you skill and understanding. You know, when you have that, you know how to cope with things. God in life, let's talk about um, Job briefly. One of the greatest messages I ever heard in my life, one of the greatest, was preached to me, well, to our meeting, I was there, by one pastor in Dominion City. 
that message blessed me tremendously. You know, when I started preaching, I told my wife later that he brought that message for me particularly. And of course, by extension, my wife. But it was a message God sent to go and give to me. I said, why do you say so? I said, when he began, apart from the fact he ministered to me, I'm not aware of any message that touched me like that ever and since then. Now, messages have blessed me, but that one touched me in a different way. Okay? But beyond that, when he began, he said, the ways of God are wonderful, Pastor Banky. We didn't know each other. I'd never met him before. So, of course, I'm not saying he got my name by the Spirit. He knew I was there, but all I'm saying is that we're not friends. So, when he called my name, I was convinced. The Holy Spirit let him know. That is what the, the person's message is for. I'm not talk, let me not talk about my own personal message from it. But that was when, for the first time, I understood Job in a particular dimension. He said that Job was praying the scriptures to cure the backsliding of the saints forever. That's how he said it. What was he saying? He went, he went ahead to explain it. That God wanted to show, remember, the demonstration of what? His righteousness and his faithfulness. All right? God wanted to show that people can love him and be faithful to him just for the sake of loving him. That was, he said that was why Job was born. That was why Job lived. Nobody suffered like Job until Jesus came. And God made it clear to everybody. Because Satan saw Job how he was blessed. And he had the voice of accusation that he was going to use permanently against the people of God. So anytime they are blessed, he will keep on saying to everybody. I know Satan gossips. He talks to the angels too. You people are here on duty, Abby. Say yes. You are guarding them. Now, well done, no? He said, the people you are guarding, that's why they are serving God for protection. I heard that your God is not a mafia boss. All their tithes and offering, you people are the one working for it, eh? Angels, you know, well done, no? He was going to be harassing everybody, harassing the saints, harassing the angel, reminding God periodically. Anytime he blesses somebody, he says, ah, bless them. That's the only way they will remember you. So if God, if you pray and you say, you just go, Father God, you just name it. We need money, send it. And God just sends the money. Satan will come and say, he has sent it. Yes, I know. That's how he's paying you people to remember him. By the way, if you forget him and remember me, I send double. That was his strategy. And listen, I told you, God not only knows things, he demonstrates what he knows. So he said, I want a man to volunteer. Now, I want to add this one to it. I'm not saying scripture said this one. I just imagine the realm of the spirit. The spirit of Job rose and volunteered. We are going to use somebody to shut Satan's mouth permanently. A righteous man, not a sinner. Do you get the point? Job was blessed in a particular way in it. Because Job also had to step on that level. But God knows that's his wisdom. He knows how he adds everything together. So he said, all right, fine. Let's use Job. You know the rest of the story. He was waiting. Satan came. He brought up the matter. Have you considered my servant Job? That was, uh, I greeted the angels last week. I saw them guarding him. Walking for your glory, you know. 
Job will give you glory, you pay back. All these things that he's doing, we know why he's doing it. It's a modern day Pentecostal. If he doesn't give an offering now, you won't bless him. And he knows. Yeah, he knows. That's why he gives. He knows. That's why he does everything. Does Job serve God for nothing? Did you not bribe him into serving you? You blessed him, didn't you? When he plants one bag, everybody has harvest seven bags on one bag. He harvests 700 bags. If you were him, wouldn't you serve you? Even though God knew it was not true, God still wanted to demonstrate his righteousness. They said, fine, that's why I've called this. No problem. Now, go and remove all the blessing I have around him. I give that to you. You know the rest of the story? In one day, all the children went. In one day, all his goods went. Everything went. And Job got on his knees and said, the Lord gave. Now the Lord has taken Blessed be the name of the Lord. God called Satan again. Have you cancelled my servant Job? He said, yeah, really. I made a small mistake last time we were talking. The truth is that, listen, life is more important than children. <laughs> life is more important than prosperity. You kept the man healthy. Who wouldn't worship you for health? A man that sound God, if you were him, wouldn't you serve you? God said, fine, I knew you would come to that. Okay? Now, you, you will go now, afflict him all you want. But you can't kill him because if he's dead, the whole deal is over. Jesus said, no problem. Just watch it. In 24 hours, he will curse you. Just watch it. God knew it was not going to happen. He just was demonstrating his righteousness. Satan possessed Job's wife. And said, ah, are you still here holding on to your integrity? Just cause God, I'm not saying, I know you love God. Just cause him so you can die in peace. Betray God for your own peace sake. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, you, this living is because you are still praising God. He, he, curse God. By what we understand, you will die. I'm not saying you hate God. When you get to heaven, you will explain to him. Or if he visits you in hellfire for cursing him, you will explain to him. To forgive you that this was just so you can ease your pain. Ah, Job said, eh. when he was giving us good, did we not take it? Now he has sent what is wrong. You want us to not deny him. Say, our bond is stronger than what he gives and what he does not give. Please, this woman, go away. This lasted a few months. So much that there's a disease named after Job till today. He him what we call Job syndrome. At the end, God said, it is enough. Oh, yeah? Everything. He said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Restore to him double. The children have gone, okay, give him another set of children. They will meet the other one later, making it double number of children. Are you getting my point? Restore all the children that he had, brought him new ones. As for the, <laughs> God didn't double the wife, he just gave him a new wife. You know, my point. I don't know what happened to the other one, but God restored Job. Okay? And blessed him abundantly. Job got two things from it. Number one, he got a spiritual blessing. He understood what the Bible calls hearing is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Before then, he only understood the righteousness by works, righteousness by the law. But now he now understood righteousness of faith. That's the one. That's the most important thing Job gained from the experience. And then secondly, materially, God gave him double what he had already. But what was in that, what was in that God was doing, like that pastor said that day, he was curing the backsliding of saints forever. So today, there is nothing you will go through that you'll be able to deny God and be justified. Now, Satan's mother has been shot. Just modern day that we want to give him what to say again. We are now the modern day Satan. 
we that pre- preach. If you don't give to God, he won't give you. When you have given, anything you have now is because you gave him yesterday. So when people are bringing out money, they are just disgracing God. Don't worry, he won't use them to bet. No, you know, God is very smart. <laughs> Say, I think that my servant, John Boo. <laughs> he said, who servant? Leave it to. <laughs> he said, leave that side, leave that side. Satan said, I went around this house. What are you looking for there? <laughs> if you take what he has now, he comes to your face. I know. That's why I'm not taking it. I'm aware. I'm aware. No, many modern day Christians, like, like God, they're not the best with you. You're disgrace somebody in the universe. It's not good. <laughs> Honestly, our lives must not be like that in Jesus' name. That's why I preach the way I preach. I want people that God can brag on. That's why I preach the way I preach. When I say people give money, I remind and say, look, I'm not promising you anything. No. I just want people that we give and take joy in the fact that they give. God loves a cheerful giver, not a cheerful investor. There's a world of difference. There's a world of difference between giving your life to Christ and investing in Jesus. There's a world of difference. We are not investors in Jesus. We have wasted our lives on If the company fails, let it fail. That's what we believers are. We're talking about Job. So, what was God doing with Job? The purpose of Job's life. That pastor taught me that day was to cure the backsliding of sins. Because until he preached that day, actually, I still wondered. I thought only good things happened to good people. That finally, after that day, I take the book of Job and I read. Now, listen to me. You may not suffer like Job suffered. But you must go to the experience of Job. What's the experience of Job? Disappointment. When you thought God would come through, just not today. Say tomorrow, ha, I'm going to pay my rent in the name of Jesus, and God is going to come through. He never disappoints. The landlord appears tomorrow. You are broker than yesterday. God will not let me be ejected. Then they will eject you. God will not let me be homeless. After I've been ejected, I'm moving from a flat to a duplex. Then you are homeless. You carry your luggage, one friend's house, and that friend that you travel to go and see your father. He doesn't know why you came. You take leave by force. Accommodated leave for two years. And you are wondering what happened. Listen to me, nothing happened. God just wants to see, okay, what will you now do? What will you now do? You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to kneel down there and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Homelessness is good. It was good for me that I was afflicted. That's not what David said. You will sit down there and say, Ah, homelessness is good. I've not seen my father in a long time. I came to visit him. You will find anything to justify the evil that you are passing through. The suffering. You rejoice in your afflictions. Everybody must pass through that. Listen, there's no... Look... If your faith is so big, you don't pass with that. God has given up on you. So let's not just deceive ourselves. You will. You'll be disappointed. You'll be angry. That the only reason why you'll be there is because you had given your life to Christ. And it belongs to him. You're not serving for what you're going to get. What am I preaching today? God is looking for people in whose life, or in whose lives, he will demonstrate his faithfulness and his righteousness again. Because in each generation, he must. In each generation, he must. Let me say it again. That's why Christians don't run up and down looking for comfort. 
like I said last time, what's most important to you must be that God is pleased with every action you take. Listen, and I told you the other day, one of our sisters in Port Harcourt, she told me about all the challenges they have had in the city. And she was supposed to make a major investment. When I say major investment, I don't mean 20 naira. I don't even mean 10 million naira. Heavy money was going to go down. And she said that, is it worth it in this city for all the disturbance and all of that? And I said something to her. So when we, we talked on the phone, I said, okay, when we come for our seminar next, we'll see. I said, okay, that thing you wrote to me about. I said, you see, God needs a reason each time to save a land. That's why I call you the salt of the earth. As a paradventure, you are the reason people like you are the ones he's looking for to save the land. I said, please invest your money in the land. The money we're talking about is a lot. But please invest it. I said, people will say to you, what if you lose it? I said, I'll give you the answer. So what? I said, it's just money. I said, what matters to God is that you obeyed him at that particular point in time. How did the Bible say it again? He that sows in tears shall reap with joy. He that goes out weeping, bearing his bag of seed. You understand? What does that mean? The time you are investing in place a lot of time, it will be difficult times. It will be painful. But he has a promise. He said, I will pour water upon the seed that you have sown. I said, there's a reason why God wants you to invest in the land. It's easy to be there. You know, you, maybe you have a foreign passport. You have a visa. You pray, Father God, give us peace in Port Harcourt. Give us peace in Enugu. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's like a nursery school chant. But when you sink money into the land, when you want to pray for peace, it's not Father God, give us peace in Port Harcourt. Give us peace in the land. No. It's Oh! <laughs> you know what they call groaning in the spirit. It's true. You know, I, I, I've worked in the university. Working in the university was, not brought, was what brought me to Enugu. Asu has gone on strike. Now, I work in a college where whether Asu is on strike or not, we work for certain reasons. We keep on working. Even though time we're not paid, like the rest of the university, we kept on working. Because our students are kind of special. We're not saying they're special human beings, but their life is complicated. Yeah, they're medical students. When they are in the clinical class, classes, okay? One, they don't have breaks. You know, university, you get a total of up to almost four or five months of break in a year. Long holiday, then in between the semester. The others, you know, the other one, between first and second, you get a month. The long holiday, you get how many months? Three. Okay, but it's, it, you can get up to three, four months in a year. But many students, when I was in school those days, you got two weeks after each major exam. If a year you didn't get any major exam, you got no holiday apart from public holiday and Christmas holiday and things like that. So, like I finished university in 1991, and I finished three months later than the official calendar because of SAP riots of 89. Did you hear what I said? Schools were closed by Babangida for five months in 89. As at 91, we are not finished paying back. Because to find where to cover the curriculum was difficult. They'll take one week here, one week there, shave off a month, a week here. Two years later, we are not yet fully recovered for a five years break. A five months break of two years before. You see where I'm going? So that's why in our college, we teach all the time anyway. So we try, and then again, because they are clinical students, if nurses are on strike, do you, know, you understand? There are so many strikes that affect them. So we try to limit those things our, with their lecturers. You see where I'm going? So when ASU goes on strike, even though I'm affected, do you know I don't, I pray, oh, but uh, I can't remember praying very hard. 
Not so hard. Just a general peace upon the country. In Jesus' name, Father God, let there be peace. You know, let us pray this morning, peace. Then my son grew up. Roads jam. And I told him, why should I pay a lot of money when federal government is giving us education for free? In my backyard. He entered UNEC. First year, he finished. No wahala. Start, sec- start first semester, second year now. They say Asu was on strike. Every week I'll go home. Asu is on strike. You come, Daddy. Me and my friends are going to the mall. Why are you going to the mall? In my heart, Asu is on strike. I won't lie to you. When I prayed about Asu strike again, they had to have a meeting and call off the strike. <laughs> now, what I'm going to say is this. This time I had to pray. It wasn't, it's different. It's not the prayer. Father God bless the country in Jesus' name. I said, Baba God, see now, children at home, I do. I call you. Even if you don't shout, your spirit is shouting like that. You start finding scripture for reconciliation. Scriptures you did not know were existing before. Because I, like play, like play. His friends that went to Covenant University, they are, they are getting ready for second semester. They were still at home. Then suddenly you start praying differently. That is why, look, one of the reasons why I like a man like Ali Kodangote, you can abuse him what you want, is that the man invested heavily and is still investing heavily in the country. They say government, government is helping him. Let me assure you of one thing. If you invest 500 million in Enugu, Buruburu will help you. Do you know what I said? You buy one massive plot of land, you are installing machines, the local government people are giving you problems. And they don't calculate and say, now, nah, you know, we are employing like 2,000 people, young and old. And all of them will pay tax. Here you know that. Income tax. You will pay tax here. This, ah. During his government, just get somebody to link you to Oga. Say, Oga, we are investing. He will personally come there, put it on television. Then dare anybody to work out, come there again. He said, we need rebate in this area. He will give you. So please. Government is helping that go take his poor man's talk. You know these poor people that are not going anywhere. Just like, huh? The rich are getting richer. <laughs> why won't they get richer? Nonsense talk. One of the reasons why I like the man is, man, the man is pumping money. I, look, you know, this is yesterday, last week I saw people forwarding information. I don't know whether it's genuine or not, but I suspect it is because I got it from. About 6,000 jobs have been opened now to be filled, directly and indirectly. Adverts already go. In fact, his own advert came out last year. They are beginning to interview engineers, you know, chemists, all kinds of people have been interviewed. If you say, tell such a man, if you say he supports any government in power, every businessman supports a government in power. It's not a bad thing. Because when you invest, is it 17 or 19 billion? Is refinery? 19 billion dollars. Oh, you don't know the refinery is 19 billion dollars? You think it's 19 billion naira? No, no. He personally put down seven billion dollars of personal money, cash. He dropped for that refinery. The rest is, you know, friends, investors, banks, and everything. 19 billion US dollars. My brethren, if you hear such, if such a man hmm, is a believer, you now hear that there's riot in the. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. When it comes to church, say, Pastor, hold my hands. Kelo, Gizi, Bolo Gabo, no riot in the name of. Believe me, riot will stop. It will have, It has to stop. 
But when you already have visa, your children are in Canada, your wife is in America, you, you don't even know where you are. You get my point? <laughs> Why is it? Let us pray for the country. Let us say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we give thanks. Father, praise God in the name of Jesus. Peace. Peace in Nigeria. In Jesus' name, peace in Nigeria. <laughs> Brethren, I drive. Look, today, Yinka, Israel, my wife and I, we drove yesterday to go to Makodi. When we come back today, in my mind, when we saw military barracks in some strange places. We took another road, not taking before. And he said, ah, so they are there here. I said, Boko Haram, they here. Now it be the problem. You know, I told them, we're just talking, talking about it. Believe me, if we pray, if they say there's trouble in those areas, and we pray for trouble to stop, it's different from when you're in Independence Day or picking your teeth. <laughs> trouble in Benin State, stop in Jesus' name. <laughs> no, it's very different. We on the road, Sometimes when they were driving, I calculated the number of children who their fathers were in the car with me. That it was me, Yinka, and Israel also. I counted it. Yinka was driving. He don't, you know, Yinka one is happy. <laughs> and it's on a good road. I looked at the speedometer. I said, Yinka, please behave yourself. Do you know how many children's fathers <laughs> are in this car? Sometimes when you're on some roads like that, I won't lie to you. My prayer. And that's of your own in GRA Enugu and not the same thing. If you like being in GRA, be saying, Come get by in the name of Jesus, you don't have any stake. Leave that thing. We will date there. If I say, Lazarus, comfort. Lazarus will jump up. <laughs> because there is a power in the spirit with which I'm talking. I told my sister that day, I said, Please put the money there. God is looking for a reason to save the land. Many people make money in Nigeria, carry it abroad. It's wickedness. I think it's wickedness. You are listening to this message. I told you that. They pay you fat money, you earn big money, then you are paying it to Canadian, American, UK universities. Then you come back home, earn some more, ship it abroad, you are wicked. Give the money to Governor's University. Give it to Co City. But come to UNEC, get free education, then donate to the department. Your children will still learn. They will still learn. There's nothing they are learning abroad that they don't teach in Nigeria. <laughs> I'm a university lecturer, I'm not lying to you. Anybody tells you otherwise is the one telling you lies. What does my son not know? All I needed to do, once again, admission to UNEC, I shook his hand. You want a laptop? I bought him a laptop. He, th- he thought I was being nice. He didn't know that I was checking the discount on his school fees. <laughs> daddy, he sent me a text. He said, Daddy, I still have the text. I really appreciate this. God will bless you, Daddy, in my mind, dear boy. Now, discount. <laughs> discount. I know what I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't check everything. You fly, go, Lagos, if you take that, you'll break you. They fly up and down in my pocket, they fly like that. <laughs> then you now agree with me. In peace, you are going to school behind my house. In fact, if you want a small starlet, you know those, that small car of those days, if I get the cheap one, you are big enough. I go sit by because it's not kindness. I don't check all your school fees for six years of architecture. That car is a discount. The rest will donate to federal government for giving us free education. You know, this good. <laughs> What am I saying by all of this? Listen to me, my people of God. God. I told my sister that God needs you as a reason to do what he wants to do. And that's what I'm preaching to us again today. Don't look at your life as what can I get. It's no. What statement am I making about my God? Let's bow down here to pray. Let's close quickly. Let's say, Father, we thank you. Let's just give him thanks. Say, Lord, we thank you. Let's give him thanks. For making us understand what we are worth or what the plan that you have for our lives. How we are the ones that would demonstrate your righteousness. 
That through us you will demonstrate your righteousness. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise. Let's commit ourselves individually again. Say, Lord, use me. Use me. Use me. Use me. Use me to demonstrate your righteousness. To demonstrate your holiness and to demonstrate your faithfulness. Use me, Father. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed.